This is the morning brief from the Economic Times. US listed Coinbase which made this big bang entry in India halted its services 3 days after it launched. Since last week it has become virtually impossible to trade as most banks and wallet operators are shutting their doors for transfer of money to buy or sell crypto. Wazirx which is one of the largest Indian exchange by volume lost up to 90% of its business when Mobiquick stopped working with them. Now I believe uh, among the high street banks only Kotak is doing business with the industry but their talks with uh, Wazirx as far as I know have fallen through. And Coinswitch Kuber which has about 15 million users disabled all ways for their users to deposit money on their app. All these instances have brought a large chunk of crypto trading in India to a grinding halt. What would crypto platforms do? I mean it's a survival issue. Even though India won't ban crypto, it has done everything possible to kill the industry. You kill cryptos without imposing an official ban like China. Those were my colleagues Apurva Mittal and Shugato Ghosh summing up the mayhem in the Indian crypto markets this week and what potentially lies ahead for the virtual currency in the country. What's happening? Indians are among the fastest in the world to adopt cryptocurrency. Assets have ballooned, exchanges have mushroomed all over, and evangelists are aggressively promoting it on every possible platform. But the country's central bank is dead set against crypto and its government doesn't really know what to do with it. There are oppressive taxes but virtually no laws on it. Financial institutions are afraid of allowing their money to be used in crypto trading. There's no legal framework to regulate cryptos and the industry is virtually running on the confidence coming from a 2-year-old Supreme Court order that overturned a ban on the currency by the RBI. So, between these business suspensions, talks falling through between exchanges and banks and no government support is crypto already dying a slow death in india all this and more in today's episode it's the 14th of april i am your host anirban choudhury and you're listening to no country for crypto on the morning brief very excited to be here today we're here to celebrate coinbase's long-term investment in India and the efforts that we're making to bring the power of this technology to this region of the world. India of course is a country with incredible engineering talent. It's incredible entrepreneurial talent and they've shown a really great willingness to embrace new technologies as a way to improve uh, the world and and their lives. And Coinbase's role here it's going to be a very long-term game. We're making a long-term investment. We know it's not going to be a straight shot to bring this technology we don't know exactly how it's going to evolve but we're committed to working with bank partners regulators most importantly the indian people because they've shown a real spark of interest in cryptocurrency and there's a real desire to get access to some of these services and products that was brian armstrong the ceo of coinbase at its india launch so the launch on april 7 was a mega event 
something befitting the entry of a global crypto behemoth in a massive market where the currency is becoming wildly popular. Now, Coinbase has already invested $150 million in crypto and Web3 technology in India. It has set up an innovation center, talked about tripling its workforce, and on the day of the launch, it pulled an ace out of its sleeve. Coinbase said that it was going to enable investors and traders to buy cryptos through UPI. UPI, or the Unified Payments Interface, the government-backed system that enables almost all of your digital app-based payments, like Google Pay, Paytm, and PhonePay, all connected to your bank account. So UPI was at the front and center of their entire pitch. No crypto player in India has so far publicized that uh, people can buy crypto using UPI on their apps. And Coinbase being what it is, one of the largest exchange in the world, which is listed on NASDAQ, they made quite a statement by, you know, going ahead and saying that. So it seems Coinbase had it really sorted out here, right? Turns out it had not. So on April 7th, the same day when Coinbase announced this, uh, NPCI made the statement that we are not aware of any crypto exchange using UPI. NPCI, or the National Payments Corporation of India. It is a Reserve Bank of India-backed body that operates UPI. So what we hear from our sources that NPCI was put in a position where Coinbase's announcement left it to interpretation that Coinbase has officially tied up with NPCI to use UPI on their app. So they wanted to wash their hands of this claim and sort of make it clear that no, we are not involved in this. We don't know how they're doing it and we don't know what's going on. Three days later, Coinbase disabled uh, UPI services on its app. And then other things happened in quick succession. MobiQuick, a digital wallet enabler, halted crypto transaction services. As a result, the country's biggest crypto exchange, Wazirex, which largely depended on that wallet, saw its trading volumes fall by up to 90%. Then, just on Tuesday, CoinSwitch Kuber suspended all rupee deposit services on its app via UPI and bank transfer. As Apurva said, a large chunk of crypto trading in India has suddenly come to a screeching halt in three days. This at a time when crypto trading in India had already fallen to a six-month low due to high taxes that have been levied by the government. And this affects 20 million investors. So, how did we get here? Now, cryptocurrency is an investment and trading fad that has taken the world by storm in the last few years. Companies such as Coinbase have been reaping the benefits of an upsurge in its trading, especially in 2021. What do I mean? Well, the market cap of all cryptocurrencies put together almost tripled to $2.3 trillion in 2021. That's just slightly higher than the GDP of Canada. But crypto is also a wildly unpredictable and hence controversial market. The conduit of greed and fear, alternately minting and wiping out fortunes, as a Bloomberg article brilliantly described it recently. So, market crashes are common. 
For instance, on January 21, cryptocurrencies lost $205 billion in 24 hours. Still, worldwide, crypto adoption grew by almost 10 times in 2021 and almost 25 times since 2019. Go figure. In this matrix, India ranked second in 2021, just behind Vietnam and ahead of developed markets in the West. Indians have massively taken to the currency. What helped was that the Supreme Court in 2020 overturned a 2018 order from RBI banning banks and financial agencies from dealing in crypto. That encouraged agencies to go all out on advertising and building awareness about the asset and led to massive bull runs on the Indian crypto market. Today, a total of 16 crypto exchanges operate in India. As of January, Indians held crypto assets worth $5.3 billion, several multiples of what it was last year. In fact, my closest friend from school has almost gone for broke on this. I haven't, and after researching for this episode, I'm not likely to. Because there are still too many problems, right? The RBI's unwritten ban resonates across financial institutions. Few banks allow their money to be used for crypto trading. The money transfer mostly happens via mechanisms like RTGS, NEFT, IMPS, and that too is getting difficult. The government's stance on cryptos has been ambiguous. It shares the RBI's fear that with no underlying asset to the currency, it's prone to misuse and scams. Some officials have even likened it to Ponzi schemes. The government has been discussing a crypto bill, but that's nowhere in sight. There were talks of a cryptocurrency that the government would introduce and the RBI would control. That isn't happening either. Earlier this year, India's finance ministry slapped taxes of 30% on all profits earned via crypto trading. That, in terms of taxes, equates it with gambling. And from June, investors will have to pay 1% TDS on all transfers of crypto and other virtual assets. And there's a disclaimer from the government too. We are taxing it, but that does not make it legal. And remember what I said about the absence of a legal framework? That is a double-edged sword, which enables exchanges to carry out opaque trading practices on the one hand, but also lets financial institutions shut their doors on them overnight, which is what happened in the last week. I asked Apurva, ET's crypto and startups reporter, about the case in point, UPI. Why is it uh, not legal to use UPI payments? Is there any law which says that? I mean, what are the problems in the intersection between crypto trading and UPI payments? So... The legal experts I spoke to said there is no official law that bans crypto exchanges from UPI or there is no requirement for disclosure that, uh, you know, that crypto exchanges use multiple merchant IDs or have these service partners that, that help them facilitate transactions on UPI. Basically, there is no direct approval you need to take from NPCI to use UPI. It, it is a federated structure where there could be multiple parties between uh, NPCI and the exchange who would be helping the exchanges to use uh, this service, basically. And uh, 
exchanges have been using this the, these structures to uh, you know allow users to use UPI on their apps. But the thing is, like every two or two two or three months, whenever volumes shoot up, the 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 ID gets flagged, then it gets banned or you know it stops working. The transactions start failing. And then the exchanges have to go over this process all over again of acquiring new merchant IDs, finding new partners to work with um, if they want to, uh, you know, use UPI on their app. So basically, use all payment options on the sly until there's too much money coming in, which is when red flags will be raised, which is again exactly what happened last year. During the IPL last year, when when exchanges were going all out in advertising and acquiring new users, and it was also the time when the markets were doing really well, that's when the transaction volumes shot up, and it was the whole time. It was a whole era where Dogecoin became really popular, and all the exchanges reported like record-breaking volumes. So that that was the time when banking partners got access uh, to all of these exchanges, you know, HDFC, ICICI Bank, all of them. And while there is no rule banning these money transfers, there's fear. So uh, basically, it's not illegal to service crypto exchanges. It is not illegal for them to use UPI or have the ability to actually have a bank account for their business. But it is very widely known uh, that RBI is uh, death set against crypto. And none of the payment aggregators, banks or partners want to cross a line or come under the scanner of the RBI, which is why these hiccups, these barriers keep popping up for crypto exchanges in India. Not just the RBI. The fear actually comes from the very top. You have seen the Prime Minister going on the... Uh, going on the TV and saying it, that youngsters must be kept away from cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, etc. is also stated that the danger is immediate and the world must come together to address the problem before it is too late. So even when you have the prime minister of the country coming across and saying that uh, people should stay away, that's where it's coming in. Hence, there's a reluctance even for a UPI to work with the crypto exchange. That was Vishwas Patel, the chairman of the Payments Council of India, an industry body of digital payment enablers. And that brings us to the broader issue, the present and the future of crypto in India. I asked Shugato, ET's associate editor and its in-house economics guru, to count the three biggest questions facing the Indian crypto industry right now. Well, first is the oppressive tax regime, which makes crypto trading uh, worse than gambling. A gambler can at least set off her profits against losses to lower the tax outgo. A crypto, a crypto trader can't. So the question is, uh, will that change? That's the first question. The next question is, what would be the payment mechanism if crypto trading has to survive in India? I find it strange that one can use debit card or net banking to play online rummy but can't bet on cryptos. And third, and the most important question I would say is that what's next? What would crypto platforms do? I mean, it's a survival issue. I'm hearing that some of the crypto exchange officials have informally discussed whether they should move the court like they did three years ago after after the RBI clamped down. Uh, But they're yet to take a decision. The industry is divided on this. 
they want to explore other avenues like knocking the doors of uh, the finance ministry and banks before they initiate legal action. But then, as you see, it's not a pretty picture. Initiate legal action. Now, remember, the crypto industry has already won one round in 2020 when the Supreme Court overturned that RBI ban. But things are different now. Now it's different. Now you have to build a case, raise more complex questions like, can an industry be taxed to death? Or why should banks discriminate against crypto platforms and investors? And you have to back these questions with arguments like how trading volumes have collapsed in the wake of these measures, how investors would lose out, whether killing cryptos would impact innovation, etc. Or how developing countries, developed countries are permitting cryptos with laws and rules and we are not. So it's a more tricky battle this time. Meanwhile, not only has trading fallen in India, many developers and entrepreneurs have left the country and gone to more crypto-friendly markets such as Dubai. They fear that there may not be too much of a future for the virtual currency here. Such worries are absolutely valid for most investors. Once an income from an activity is taxed, it becomes legitimate. Though that's not quite the case in tax laws. For instance, if someone receives a bribe, the IT department can claim tax on the amount. Now, there could be a subsequent action by another government agency invoking the criminal code, but that's separate. However, here we have a situation where the government is silent about regulating the industry, but nonetheless has decided to almost tax it out of existence. Cryptos, we all know, pose a plethora of problems. Uh, it can be an avenue to launder money and even move money overseas, sidestepping banks and exchange control regulations. But then should you use tax to push compliance in other regulations? RBI has made no bones that there is no place for cryptos backed by such public blockchain technology. But the government is silent, partly because of the I think the 2020 Supreme Court ruling, and it has been silent for the last two years now. I mean, there is an ambiguity all over. For instance, companies which invest in cryptos have been told to disclose to the Ministry of Corporate Affairs about their investments. But there is no disclosure of cryptos by individuals. Why? If you are taxing them, you might as well add a column in the income tax return for specifying how much cryptos you own as on 31st March just as you have done for foreign bank accounts and assets. Now, compared to equities, investments in cryptos are a fraction. But then about two crore investors have put in money. Given the ambiguity, you can't blame investors if they stop investing. But then who knows? I mean, that could well be what the government wants. In that case, you kill cryptos without imposing an official ban like China. Nitin Sharma, co-founder of Antler, and one of the earliest venture capital investors in India's crypto space gives me a counterpoint. None of this is surprising. Every central bank all over the world has the same view. Uh, they are largely skeptical of crypto and the reasons are easy to understand. They have some very valid concerns around money laundering, tax evasion, uh, investor education and capital flight, those four or five areas. 
So this is not unique to India. Um, and I think as far as the government is concerned, there has been quite a significant movement, although it has, of course, taken time. Uh, but this regulatory process is a multi-year process, and that's what I think people do not appreciate. This could take two, three, four, five years to play out. Which is what's also happening globally, he says. With the exceptions of places like Switzerland or maybe Korea or Japan, I think in all major large economies, it is still a work in progress, including the US. US has a federal way of looking at it, but various states have their own policies around taxation. So it's an evolving subject. And uh, frankly, even the US regulators are not as forward thinking as one might expect. So the US doesn't recognize crypto as legal tender, but allows its trading. Germany has a legal framework for crypto. The currency is unregulated in the UK. Russia and Turkey have banned the use of crypto as currency, though it hasn't been outlawed. And India's neighbours, China, Nepal and Bangladesh, have totally banned it. I think the ecosystem would really prefer more clarity, but it is a complicated subject. It is a multidisciplinary subject. It involves not just the RBI, but also issues pertaining to SEBI, the Ministry of Finance. Uh, there is, you know, but we've come a long way from not having any definition of whether this is a security or an asset or a currency, right? To what is today, effectively, in my view, an acceptance that this is a legitimate asset class getting created worldwide. It's a two to three trillion dollar asset class that has been created. And all progressive economies that we look up to or want to beat are generally moving in the direction of a regulatory framework. If that doesn't happen, here's how it will play out, says Shugato. Well, then crypto dies a slow natural death. Investors lose money. They stop investing. Some investors are unable to pull out the money they have already invested, even at a loss, because the banking systems have are all choked. And uh, a lot of investors shift their uh, bets overseas and the trade goes underground, as it has happened in China. Uh, the investors with deep pockets, they will find ways to bet on cryptos on overseas platforms. They will find out a way. Even the exchange control regulations don't really allow crypto trading under the RBI's liberalized remittance route, but they will figure out a way. You have relatives abroad, you can set up a company abroad, you can transfer the money to your relatives, he or she can bet on your behalf. So I see the entire market moving offshore for investors who have the wherewithal to take up such transactions. As far as the small investors are concerned, who are largely ignorant about crypto, but has just chased it like a gold rush, they lose out and they find it very difficult to pull out the money. Cryptocurrency players are used to being buoyed and battered by its ups and downs. Apurva tells me that the industry in India was almost wiped out after the RBI's 2018 bang and came back with a bang after the Supreme Court decision. Now, India as a crypto market is becoming globally relevant. The world is coming in to trade in cryptos with Indians. 
the future of this currency in India can't just hang by the thread of that one court ruling. The government needs to speak up and put rules where its high taxes now are. Depending on that, the crypto story in India may play out in two ways. Either we are saved from the biggest Ponzi scheme of recent times, or we miss out on one of the biggest financial revolutions of this decade. That's it for today. You were listening to No Country for Crypto on The Morning Brief. This episode was produced by my colleague Nehal Chaliawala and Varun Kapahi from Avas. Sound editor, Soundarya Jayachandran from Avas. Executive producer, Arjit Barman. The Morning Brief airs every Tuesday, Thursday and Friday. This is your host, Anirban Chaudhary, signing off, wishing you a good day and week ahead.